You are listening to the Passion City Church DC podcast. To learn more about Passion City Church, including our gathering times in Atlanta and Washington, DC, visit us online at passioncitychurch.com. Today's talk comes from Pastor Ben Stewart. Well, I want to talk to you about generosity this morning, and specifically, I want to talk to you about money, which I know is controversial. Yeah, I just felt the tension. You know, you're like, don't do it. Uh, I like this place. You're going to stress me out. Don't do this. Because I know conversations about money changes things. It can make things weird. Uh, I remember my uncle uh, told me the story of his son, his uh, little boy, my nephew, uh, was just the sweetest, kindest kid. He's one of those kids that's abnormally old for his age. You know, like at three, wore like trousers. You know what I mean? And he would walk up and just be like, well, how are you today? I'm like, great, thank you. Like, it was bizarre. And he said, he's the sweetest kid, politest kid. And we were coming up to Christmas. And he said, we thought, you know what? Now's a good time to teach him about money because his dad was in investment. And he said, you know what? So I gave him some money and said, here, son. And he gave him like $100 or something, like five twenties. And he said, Ben, it was the weirdest thing. Because when I handed it to him, he's like looking at me like, why are you handing me this? I'm like, that's your money now. And he's like, this is my money. And he's like, that's your money. And he said, Ben, I watched his face change. Like, that's my money. That's my money. Mine. And he said he would walk around, Ben, and, pre- and pet it. He said he would carry it around. He's like, precious, yes. <laughs> and he said as he was doing that, I came to him said, well, you know, son, Christmas is coming up. Uh, maybe you'd like to use some of that money to buy gifts for your family. And he said, I watched my sweet, generous, kind son go, no, no. My money to you? He's like, no. And he said, I saw it distress him. He said, until finally I saw a little relief on his face. He was like, can I have some wrapping paper? They gave him wrapping paper. And he said, can I get some tape? And they gave it to him. And he walked up to their desk in their kitchen area. And he took a well-used pencil and began to wrap it. And then wrote on the card, for sister. <laughs> then he picked an eraser and was like, for mommy. Right? And he just kind of pulled stuff off the desk to give to his family, which he let him do. Uh, and so Christmas Day, his sister opened up like a half-used eraser. It was like, really? But it just it made the family weird when you bring money into it, right? And I know it can get weird. It can get complicated, right? Uh, like, <laughs> just keep thinking of Notorious B.I.G. The more money we come across, the more problems we see. And I'll tell you why I'm laughing thinking about it is I tried to quote it in a book and they wouldn't let me. Apparently you can't quote songs. And so the editor rewrote it. And so literally it was like, as Christopher Wallace says, an increase in revenue brings a commensurate increase in vexation. And you're just like, that doesn't sound the same, but it's still true. When you don't have money, it's a problem. When you get money, there's some problems. It's stressful. And so when I talk about generosity, let me get a couple facts out there first. Number one is I believe most, if not all of us in this room, want to do good. We want to put good out in the world, not bad. We want to make a difference before we die. I think everyone in here wants that to be true of us. And number two, I think all of us admit money is a way to help people. It can relieve human suffering and bring joy and increase quality of life. So we know we want to make a difference. Money can help. Those two things are true. But then fear sets in because we say, but if I give my money to you, then I have less money for me. And then we go, and I don't know about you. What are you going to do with it? What kind of watch are you wearing? What car do you drive? And we start to go, wait a minute, how are you going to use it? Because there's some people that abuse it. And yet the abuse doesn't make those first two points untrue. We want to make a difference in this world. 
Money can alleviate a lot of human suffering and produce good. And so the question today is, in the way I steward my resources, will it be by fear or by faith? Can we have this conversation without clinching and freaking out? We're going to try, right? And we're going to do it here in Philippians because I love the way Paul does it. He's talking to them, and you find out here at the end that the letter to the Philippians that we've been studying is a thank you note. The whole letter was an extended thank you note with a lot of theology and encouragement. And you go, why did he write it? Because he was in jail. And back then when you were in jail, the state did not care for your needs. And so if people didn't care for you, you didn't get cared for and you may not make it out alive. And so he is sitting in prison in Rome and then Epaphroditus turns the corner with a care package from the Philippians. And so he's like, don't leave yet. And he wrote this long note, this letter we've been studying to them to say thank you. Thank you for giving to me. And yet he enters that weird tension that pastors do. If you notice in the text, he's like, I want to thank you for giving to me, but I don't want to do it in a way that makes you think I'm trying to get my hand at your wallet again. So I got to thank you for giving, but let you know I'm not really after your money. But then I'm also your mentor, so I got to tell you it was good for you to do that and encourage you to do it, but in a way that doesn't feel weird that I'm trying to get your money. And so I watch Paul go through the thing I'm about to, right? So here we go which will be fun, and we're going to watch how he does it. And I love the way he does, because at the end of it, what he gives us is seven powerful reasons to be generous people. And that's all I want to do, okay? I'm going to give you seven powerful reasons to be a generous person, results of being generous. And I do think psychologically it helps all of us that the giving money's uh, moment is already over, okay? Can we just get that out of the way? So we're not going to be like, get these plates back out here, all right? So everybody relax. This is just to help you be the kind of person you say you want to be, right? So point number one is this. Generous people are joy creators. Generous people are joy creators. So you get in verse 10, he said, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you've revived your concern for me. He said, I rejoice greatly. When Epaphroditus turned the corner and I saw, hey, the Philippians thought about you and wanted to take care of you, he said, it just created joy inside of me. It lit up a prison cell that your provision can create praise. That's pretty awesome that my money can create a lot of things. It can go in a lot of directions, but I could aim generosity in a way that creates joy in the world. That's a pretty incredible thought. We all know this. We all love this. I watched a video last night of God's plan by Drake, right? That video is amazing. What does he do? He just goes around and is handing people stacks of cash interspersed with periodic moments of dancing. And you go, this all makes sense. Because you see people that as he hands them cash, it's spontaneous to get up and then everyone starts dancing. You know, and you're like, you should dance. And all through this video, people are laughing, having fun. And I don't know even why he made the video of God's plan about being generous to people. But I'm like, you know what? It is God's plan for us to be this way. It is, Drake, for us to be those kind of people. You're right that we're meant to live like that. When we see people do that, it's good. And then he lets them know, this isn't a guilt trip. He says, indeed, you were concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. He said, you revived it. You used to support me, and then you stopped. He said, but I'm not saying that was bad. You came back on. You go, why did they stop? Was it maybe because they ran out of funds, because they got poor? No, because he wrote to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 8. He said, I want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that's been given me among the churches in Macedonia, who were the Philippians. He said, in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity. I love that. So what was the opportunity they were missing? It wasn't a lack of funding. It was probably Paul got some criticism because it was common in that area for shysters to preach and try to fleece people. And so Paul quit taking money from people. And he said, aim it at the poor in Jerusalem. 
And now when he was in jail, they're like, we're sending it anyway. And he was like, you were concerned. You just didn't have the opportunity to give to me because I told you to stop, but now I appreciate it. That's probably the opportunity. It wasn't because they were poor. Because he told the Corinthians, hey, over in Macedonia, they were poor, but they had joy. And it didn't go poor plus joy equals, eh, it would have been good to help maybe later when I get my money right. He's like, no, poor plus joy equal generosity. That it doesn't just create joy, it comes from joy. It creates this joy feedback loop of I enjoy giving, you enjoy getting, I enjoy you getting, well, I enjoyed you getting, me getting, right? And this joy begins to create, and we can be a part of that. I got the privilege, the first time I gave to Bible translation, I didn't know what kind of difference it made. I'm like, yeah, I'm happy to do that. I value the scriptures. If it helps people, great. And I remember about two years later, as I met with the team in charge of translations, I was speaking at one of their events, and one of them said, what people did you support? And I told her the name, and she said, I work on that project. And she pulled up on her computer a video of these people in a... hut where they had multiple people doing checks for accuracy of translation. And she says, this is right when they realized they had completed Matthew. And you see this one little nerdy American guy with his glasses on like, okay, yeah, I confirm, I ID. And the other ones are looking at it and he was like, that's accurate. They're like, that's accurate. That's accurate. Right? <laughs> and the guys behind him, like, he doesn't even know. He's still studying. They're like, oh, until finally they pick him up and they make him start dancing. And it's Drake's video all over again. But... It's the word of God coming alive in the people of God. And you go, man, the generous people get to be joy creators. That's pretty awesome. That's pretty awesome. And what's great about it is they are joy creators, but number two is generous people are faith-fueled and guilt-free. Faith-fueled and guilt-free. Real scriptural generosity is not fueled by guilt. You see that in verse 11. He says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned to be content in whatever situation I'm in. He said, I'm not saying this to you because I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so sad and y'all's money's gonna keep me alive. More money will keep me more alive. Like he was like, I'm not doing that. There's no guilt today. He said, we're not doing that, right? He said, I'm not gonna come at you with that. And that's not how we do it. We don't feel that way, that it's generosity is we get to be a part of what God's doing. We're not gonna twist your army to be a part of it because that's not what God does. He invites you to be a part. And so Paul says, guess what? Me, I'm generous in my life. He said, because I've learned to be content in whatever situation I'm in. He says in verse 12, I know how to be brought low, which means live in humble means. I know how to abound, which means to have prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, having abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. See, the reason that many of us aren't generous, even though we know it's good to be, We love watching Oprah do it and Ellen do it. The reason we don't do it is because of fear. And Paul says, that fear doesn't grip me anymore because I live by faith. He literally says, because I'm strengthened by the strengthening one. He says, because when I think about my life, I factor God in. I factor in that the creator of the universe knows me and loves me. And when I get that, I just trust him. And if he wants me in a moment where I don't have a lot of money, that's cool. I trust you. If he wants me in a moment where he's abundant and generous, that's cool. Let me handle it well. But you're guiding the ship. I'm just walking with you. And so I'm content because whatever situation I'm in, God is running this situation. That doesn't free me from making decisions, but it frees me from anxiety about them. I can just walk with him, man, and I'm going with him. My kids don't stress about money. They don't. My children aren't like, Dad, where will our next meal be coming from? They just know dad's got them. 
And there are times when they're like, Dad, can we get another popsicle? No, those aren't ours. That's the thing I keep saying. When they grab toys, can I buy this? Like, no, that's not ours. And uh, it's working. I don't know. I don't have to give them a lot underneath that. I'm like, that's not ours. And what's great is they're kind of like, all right, it's not ours. Like, they don't fight that much about it. And there are other times where I buy them stuff and get them things, and they're like, what? And they think it's amazing. And I just love that all through it. They're like, sometimes dad takes us to a cool place. Sometimes he says, no, you can't have that. But they're never sitting around really anxious about it. And that freedom from anxiety has made them generous people. Uh, We were sitting out uh, yesterday at lunch, and they saw a guy playing the saxophone across the street. And they're like, dad, you got any money? I'm like, of course your dad has money. What, what are you talking about? And they were like, we want to give some money to that guy. And I'm like, okay. And it was fun to watch them take a little bit of money. They said, he's doing great. They went over there, gave him some money, and I watched him across the street. He kind of bowed to them and started playing a song, and they just danced with him for a little bit. And they, they were just all having fun over there. And I'm like, that's cool, man. They're not stressed about it. And uh, you go, well, they're children. You go, yeah, but so are we. Underneath a caring God. And that doesn't free you from making decisions. And that doesn't mean he's going to give you everything he wants but it means he's a good dad. And that's what Jesus told us. This isn't just Ben saying this. Luke chapter 12, Jesus says to his disciples, don't be anxious about your life. Saying, what will you eat or your body? What will I put on? Life's more than food, the body more than clothing. Instead, seek the kingdom and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock. It's your father's good pleasure to give to the kingdom. He's like, God is your dad. He's gonna take care of you. You walk with him and he puts on himself that he'll care for you. And so then he says, so sell your possessions and give to the needy. I love that that's how he moves from it. Get free from anxiety and give. And if they're like, I don't have any money, he's like, oh, that's fine. Just sell something. You're like, oh, man. He just undercuts that whole excuse. Ouch, Jesus. Right? But if I know God's taking care of me, I don't have to worry about it. Number three is the good news of it is generous people share in the suffering and in the success. Generous people get to share in the suffering and the success. What I love about that is Paul told him, hey, I didn't need it. I'm content. I'm content in any situation. But now that feels bad. They got a gift from me. He's like, I'm content even if I got no gift. So then he has to come around. In verse 14, it says, but it was kind of you to share my trouble. Let me just say, I'm not downplaying your gift. It was awesome. I really appreciate it. It was kind of you to share in my trouble. And then he says in verse 15, and you Philippians yourself know. In the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. I love that because he says, you shared in my trouble. When you gave to me, you inconvenienced yourself for my sake, and and you became a participator with me in my suffering and helped alleviate the weight. It's pretty great. First time I visited Washington, D.C. as an adult, I lost my wallet. You ever done that? and it slowly dawns on you how painful that is, you're like, oh, no, my driver's license in there. Oh, that's a bummer. I have to get a new driver's license. Wait, how am I going to get on the plane? And then you're like, well, that's okay. Y'all want to go to lunch? Wait a minute. I don't have any money. Wait, I have nothing. I have no idea. I'm not even a person. Like, it's suddenly terrifying. And you realize how fragile you are. Like, why do we keep all this in one little place? But I realized I don't have a lot of options. And I had friends in that moment. I'm not going to tell you their names. Uh, I had friends who'd be like, man, that is such a bummer. We'll pray for you. And then leave. And then I had some other buddies that were on that trip with us just pull their wallet out, grab some cash, and go, here, man. And I realized if they didn't hand me cash, I, like, would not have eaten. But they didn't shame me about it. They just inconvenienced themselves. That's one less knickknack for you. But Ben gets to eat. And... 
I remember all their names. Never forget those guys. Think about them sometimes when I'm walking on the mall because I didn't ask them to, but they shared with me in the suffering. And when we choose to do that, we get to share in the success. That's what I love in verse 15. He says, you entered a partnership with me in the gospel. You didn't just share in my suffering. You, you got a piece. You got invested in what I'm doing out here, that this counts for you, that you, you're now a part of this. I remember the, one of the first times I ever went to a passion conference. You know, we're Passion City Church, which is part of this bigger movement as, as a College student, for me, I went to Passion Conference, and I remember they would put us in these little groups where you'd sit around and talk and discuss your problems, and, and I was there with some college students, and they asked me, will you lead the group? And I was like, yeah, and I had all these college students and one clearly older guy. I was like, one of these things is not like the other. I'm like, all right, we got this old guy that somehow slipped in. Isn't there like an age requirement on this thing for the conference? But anyway, we're going around talking about what's your greatest struggles. You know, some are like, I'm taking so many classes. Or like, oh my gosh, I have so much reading to do. And one of them's like, man, I wake up from a nap and I'm still tired. You know, we have all our problems. And then this guy was like, well, I'm from Nepal. And when I put my faith in Jesus, I lost my job and lost everything. But I managed to come here to America because I know Americans have better access to resources and I want to learn the Bible. And we're like okay, that sort of helps us adjust our expectations from this life. And we just start getting to know this guy, talking to him, amazing guy. And at the end of it, he's telling me that he doesn't even have in his particular village kind of reliable exegesis of the word of God. And at that point in college was the first time for me, someone was preaching and and they would read a verse ahead of time and I wouldn't understand it. Like most of the Bible, I'm like, that sounded like words, 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 I don't know. And then you would explain it, and I'm like, I understand it. It was huge for me, changed my life. And I was like, I know a guy. I listen every week to a guy. And I realized you don't have a guy, and you don't even know where to find a guy. So I went back in college, and I was, I was working a couple jobs to try to pay my way through, so it felt like a sacrifice for me. But I saved up money to buy him a binder of copies of the messages of the whole book of Ephesians. And I remember for me, it just felt really big. And then to mail it to him, I had to pay to mail it. And I'm like, you have to pay to mail it? You know, like, it all felt huge. But I sent it to him. And for years, he would write back about what God was doing in Nepal. And for years, to talk about how they wore those messages out. And I'm like, I got a part of that, man. Like, I've never been to Nepal. But I'm a part of everything God is doing through D.B. Lama. Because I shared with him in the suffering And so I get to share in the success. That's so cool about it. Wouldn't you love to be the guy that loaned Jesus the donkey? You know what I'm saying? It probably seemed inconvenient at at the moment. Hey, we need to commandeer your donkey. No, man, my donkey's busy right now, you know? (laughs) But later when you saw it was used to lead Jesus in on Palm Sunday, you know that guy was back there like, that's my donkey, man. Yeah, you recognize him? Yeah, that's him. That's Roger, right? Like, you'd be so excited. And if you were the guy that passed on him, like, no, nah, man, you'd been like, oh, dude, he could have my donkey. You're like, no, no, he couldn't because he asked you. I saw him. Like, you know, it would have been a bad deal to miss that. To own the inn that told Mary no. Bummer to be that guy. Pretty awesome to be the guy that was like, yeah, man, you want to come out back? Yeah, son of God was born out here. Yeah, come over. I'm selling tickets. You know, that would be pretty awesome to get woven into this story. That's who we want to be. That's what you get to do. I get to share in it. It's cool. If I can geek out, I don't know if this is going to work or not. If we can pull these maps up. Can we pull these maps up? I want to show you something kind of fun. This is about to get Sunday school. I don't know if y'all are ready for this. I don't know if we as a church are ready for this. Are you ready for this? Let me show you something real quick. I'll go fast. Right here, can you see this? This little box is where Jesus Christ did all of his earthly ministry, right? Roughly, in this box. 
Jerusalem, where he died and rose right here, right? The Apostle Paul lived there, persecuted the church, but when he was in Damascus over here, put his faith in Jesus. Tried to move to Jerusalem, but he was too hot, too controversial a person. People are going to kill him. They sent him home. They sent him back to where he was born, Tarsus. But meanwhile, a church blew up in Antioch. The representatives from Jerusalem moved to this city and launched a church that took off, and it became this beautiful, multi-ethnic expression of faith, so much so that beforehand, they just called them Jews. Now they're like, we need a new name. It's not just Jews. We started calling them Christians. And so when people ask us, how did Passion City Church in Atlanta decide to move out into uh, D.C.? How does that happen? You're like, I don't know. We, We came across this model somewhere in the book of Acts. So Paul, they realized, we got this blowing up church. They went and got Paul and said, hey, come be the pastor there. So he showed up as the pastor there, and he pastored there for a while, and then they realized there's people all over the world that don't know about Jesus, so they started sending him out on mission trips, different places. Finally, at one moment, he went on a mission trip, and this is Purple Line here, and he traveled all the way out here, and his plan was to get into Asia, but it says God wouldn't let him. We don't know what that looks like, but he couldn't go. So he says, well, then I'll go to Bithynia, and he starts walking up there, and it said God wouldn't let him do that either. We don't know what that looks like. So he just kept walking, Till he got to Troas. And while he was there, he got the vision of a Macedonian man that says, come to us, we need you. So he woke up and said, boys, we're rolling. And so he went over here. I don't know if you can read it. That's Philippi. And when he went to Philippi, they put their faith in him. Lydia, the woman that was killing it, selling purple. The slave girl that had a demon. The jailer who didn't care until his world fell down. A lot of blue-collar people, a lot of normal, regular people, government workers, all just this community got around it and believed in it. And that's why he said, even in Thessalonica, why was that a big deal? Because it was the very next city. They didn't wait. They supported him there. They supported him when he went down to Corinth. That's why he wrote the Corinthians. Hey, he tells the Corinthians later, hey, you know what? I didn't ask for money from y'all. He said, when I rolled in, I didn't take an offering from y'all. He said, I'll let the Philippians bankroll the ministry to Corinth because that was Paul's MO. We don't want any money from you until you receive the gospel for free. And then if you're a part of the ministry, then be a part of it. But if you're just checking it out, just check it out, man. That's why when we launched, we didn't take up an offering our first Sunday. We're like, no, because you're all checking it out. You don't know how you feel. And if you're a guest here, we don't want you to feel pressured. You're like, check it out. We could be weird. We know we're not, but you don't know. And so just come around, check it out. But if you put your faith in Jesus and are ready to put your shoulder in, then come ride with us. That was his mentality. And so they did to Thessalonica, Corinth. He made it over to Ephesus and then all the way back to Jerusalem. And so here's the point. Philippi is right here, right? Everybody got that? I'll put a little P next to it. So Philippi, says, I want you guys to know you helped fund the ministry to Thessalonica. We get First and Second Thessalonians out of that. Then you guys helped fund the ministry to Corinth. We get First and Second Corinthians out of that. Then when famine hit in Jerusalem, they gave money. Paul will say later to the Corinthians, I told them not to because I knew they were poor and they didn't care. And then when I got in prison in Rome for preaching, now they gave to me over here. And while he was here, he wrote them the thank you note. And while he was writing them a thank you note, he wrote a letter to the Ephesians, to the Colossians, and to Philemon too. So by the end of the Bible, the Philippians, their partnership in the gospel spanned the entire known world at the time. Three different continents. They got a piece of all that, right? Lydia, slave girl, jailer, working a government job, got to touch the world because they leaned into Paul. Do you see that? We get to be a part of that. That's pretty amazing. 
All right, you can take the maps off if you want to put me back. Now you can't. All right. Probably should have worked on that transition. Anyway, so how about us? What are we doing here? Some of you go, well, that's all well and good, but what are you doing here as a church for the city? Well, let me tell you a couple things we're doing. Number one is we decided to roll in, and we just celebrated year one. And so we decided we're not going to come into the city like we got all the answers. I think that's rude. So we're going to come in as learners. And so this first year, we just decided, let's come in as learners. Let's start meeting with people. I started meeting with pastors, pastors who've been here for decades, and saying, what are the needs of the city, and how, we, how can we lean in with them? Mike D. on our staff, who's hosting, started leaning into some parachurch leaders, people that lead different ministries in the city, and say, what are the needs, and how are you meeting them? Let, we don't want to recreate what you guys are up to. What are you doing? And then we've got a, another good man on our team, Jason, that's leaning into principals at schools and going, if kids are some of the most fragile among us, how do we lean into that? And we're trying to learn, trying to understand. And so as we did that, we've been leaning different directions. We had a service project at the, for the homeless at Central Union. And then as we got to meet a bunch of different ministries, we saw Central Union, which is helping homeless men, is doing a great job, and Little Lights, which is helping kids in at-risk neighborhoods, is killing it. And so we took up an offering here, and we gave 25 grand to each organization. We did that several months ago. We realized over the summer, as we asked Little Lights, what do you need? They said a lot of our kids, when they're in school, are on free and reduced lunches. When they hit the summer, they're on their own. If you can provide snacks that'll help these kids, we got 200 kids that for eight weeks won't have a reliable food source necessarily. And so you guys gave food to cover those 200 kids for eight weeks last summer. So we started looking at what's next, and Little Lights said we need mentors for our kids. They said that's the hardest thing to fill, is people that will sit with them and help them learn to read, help them do stuff like that. And so we said, what do you need? And they're like, well, we need 20. And they're like, but look, it's just great you asked. So it's awesome you asked. We have no expectation you can fill that. That's not really how this rolls. And so Mike announced at community groups, because that's the vehicle we want to push a lot of this through. He said, hey, we're in this community. The children in our community need our help. You got time. You got energy. You got resource. Can we lean into these 20 kids? And in one week, we had 28 people sign up to help the kids. And uh, after a couple weeks, that shook down to 30. And that's when they stopped us. They were like, all right, we're filled up. They were like, we weren't ready. And they were like, man, but this is pretty amazing. You're leaning into this. And here in Shaw, we're still trying to be learners here. So we've done several block parties. They're for us, but also for the neighborhood. And so we just want to keep inviting people and be a part of the city. And we got a lot of other plans I can't tell you about now because I don't know where they're going to go. But we're trying to be learners and trying to lean in and trying to make a difference in the neighborhood we do church, in the neighborhoods we live. We want to touch down in the city because as we watch the city rise, I want to know I was a part of that. I want to know I leaned into that. And we got something coming this summer, Love D.C., that I'm excited about, that we all get to lean into loving D.C., making a difference in different neighborhoods. And when you drive by where you leaned in, you're going to say, I was a part of making that place better than it was. That's a pretty great feeling. All right, I'll go quicker. Number four, generous people aren't perfect, but they're consistent. I love that. He said, even in Thessalonica, you sent for my needs. They were new believers. They were still a mess in a lot of ways. So some people are like, I want to give. I just got to get my life together. You don't have to wait for that. Even in Thessalonica, you can give. Even if you don't feel like you're necessarily good at it or understand, you can start figuring it out. And I promise you, it'll incentivize you to get your finances right. Typically, that's what happens to people. They start thinking about their money rather than just going, where's all my money going? They start to think about where it goes, right? And so he says, man, you guys, you don't have to be perfect. You just got to be willing. And they leaned in. It's fascinating. Christian Smith's a professor at Notre Dame. And he wrote a book entitled The Paradox of Generosity. And it was the compilation of several studies across America. And they found that generous people are more happy, healthy, and enjoy greater purpose in life than those who are not generous. 
they said there's a direct correlation between generous practices and well-being. And they measured happiness, bodily health, a sense of purpose in living, avoidance of depression, and interest in personal growth. They said chemically giving releases endorphins that reduce stress and pain, increase joy. They said older Americans, this study was fascinating, older Americans that volunteer are 30% less likely to die in a seven-year period. They studied that. They just watched old people. And the generous ones make it. So you could even be mercenary in this whole thing and have the wrong heart and still technically live longer. I'm just trying to help you today, all right? And what was wild, and the reason I bring it up now, is all these positive effects were only the case for those who practiced generosity, not sporadic giving. A shot of guilt that made you empty your wallet is, is not terrible, but that didn't necessarily create this quality of life that says, man, my life's integrated. I'm who I want to be. I'm living how I want to be. I made the world better, and I feel better, and life is better, and look at us, look at me, and look at you. That joy that he's talking about, that comes when people make the decision, I will be a generous person. I will make it a priority. They begin to reap the benefits, right? Number five is generous people have confidence of their conversion. You know God's working on you. And he said it in verse 17, not that I seek the gift. He's got to come back around it again. What you gave to me was good. No one else partnered with me, but you guys got a piece of that. Not that I'm saying this out of need. He again says, this isn't a guilt trip. I just want you to know I'm not seeking your gift, but the fruit that increases to your credit. And he's using Jesus's language there. That Jesus says, you make the tree good and the fruit will be good. It's from the heart that we're generous or not generous, not from the bank account. It's interesting as they study people who tithe and people who don't, people who give significant portion of their finances and people who don't. Did you know that income has no bearing on who's generous and who's not? People use that as a primary mean, well, I don't make as much. Of course, if I had that much money, I'd be generous. Like, not necessarily, because income has no bearing on who's generous and who's not in our country. That really doesn't. Generosity is spread across all different income brackets. But the reality is that you, when God changes your heart, it begins to change your life. And so he says, man, I'm looking at you, and you see fruit. You see evidence that God changed your heart. You don't give in order that God changes your heart. God changes your heart, and it makes you generous. Jesus was generous for us. That's what we've been singing about. He ran for us in a reckless love. He came for us to rescue us as a free gift. And when he does that, it changes us, and we join him, right? We want to be a part of it. I remember I had a young man in my ministry uh, early on when I was a youth pastor that loved his truck, which I know is hard to understand maybe in D.C., but in Texas, just try to imagine living in Texas. This was significant for him. And he loved his truck. He loved tricking out his truck. And so he talked about it constantly, like always. Like across the room, you could hear him. You're like, yeah, I'm going to crawl this and make that. And you're like, okay, he's still talking about the truck. And just on and on, he would work multiple jobs in order to get new rims. And he would work this in order to get a rail bar. And he'd work that to get the booming system. And he would just keep moving to just trick out his truck. And finally, after a while, we're like, I just can't, I can't care, man. I, uh, at first, you're like, oh, that's so interesting. I want to know more about that as I connect with you as a minister. And after a while, I'm like, something else, anything else, stop. Stop saying those words to me, right? It was hard. He graduated. A couple years later, I ran into him when he was a college student. I remember he picked me up because we were going to reconnect and go to lunch. And he picked me up in his truck, and I was instantly shocked because the truck looked the same as it did like two years ago. When he was in my youth ministry, the truck looked different like every three months. It was tricked out with something new. I got in, I'm like, your truck looks surprisingly normal. And he started laughing. He's like, yeah, man, I was kind of obsessed with this thing for a while. And I'm like, kind of? 
He said, you know what, man? He said, I got into college and we heard this presentation from a guy and they were talking about how you could give X amount a month through compassion and that it could feed, clothe, educate, and share the good news of Jesus with kids all over the world. And I started to realize, what am I doing? All of my money and attention are at this truck and there are people hurting in the world and I can make a difference for something like 50 bucks a month or something. He's like, "Ah, that's crazy. He said, and and then it embarrassed me how hard it was to let that money go. He said, but as soon as I did, he's like, man, you got to see this. And he popped the glove compartment. He had all this information about his kids. He's like, he lives here. And he's telling me about what the kid eats and what he's into and what he's studying because you write letters back and forth. And he's like, man, look at this. And I'm just, he's trying to show me this kid, but I'm watching this kid. And I'm seeing this joy on his face as he's just literally, and I'm like, man, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And this is evidence of a heart that's been touched by the grace of God. There's no shame in what you're saying. There's no guilt. Or, yeah, this guy's presented all these kids. And it's like, this is your fault. And I was like, it probably is. And so it wasn't that. It was like, man, God touched my heart. And now I get to touch the heart of somebody else. And you see, man, I'm like, that is proof God's working in your life. I can see God working on you. That he has worked in you his grace. And it's coming out of you. And a family's going to be different because you exist. That's pretty amazing. That's pretty amazing. That's what Paul calls a fragrant offering to God. God loves that. That you're... Your giving, your generosity is beneficial for somebody else. And the last two points are connected if you're getting nervous how long this is going to be. Number six is generous people have confidence in God's provision. They have confidence in God's provision. That's what he says in verse 19. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. How does all that work mechanically? I don't know. But I do know it works. I led a ministry in Texas that was always hurting for money. And then I remember I felt like God put it in our heart, we need to start giving away a percentage of what we make as a ministry to other ministries. And I resisted God. I was like, no, God, we are the charity. People give to us. But I felt convicted about it. And so we did this big fundraising effort for these other ministries. You know what was weird? There was no like, and then I sent this support letter. It was just like we started doing that and people started giving to us. And our budget began to exponentially grow exponentially. And I don't really understand it. I don't, I don't know why God did it that way. I'm, I'm sort of hesitant to talk about it, but I look and go, but, but God tends to say, try me, try me. And the beautiful thing about it is he provides for us because verse seven is, or number seven is generous people get to be a part of his story. That's the end. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you. And I love he throws this in, especially those in Caesar's household. Because at the beginning, he was in prison. They were worried about him. And he said, I'm in prison, but you know what? Prison happened to chain me to some soldiers that happened to work for Caesar. So by being chained to these guys, I'm going to tell them about Jesus. And then he tells them at the end, hey, thanks for the care package. Thanks for keeping me alive. All the brothers say hi, especially the brothers that work in the palace now. What's up? (laughs) What you guys are a part of is changing kingdoms. It's changing culture. It's changing the world. You get to be a part of the story. You get to be a part of the story. So I don't know where you land on all this. I, I certainly hope you don't feel pressure to give today, but I, I want to invite you. What kind of person do you want to be? You say, I want to be a generous person in life. Let me tell you how that happens. You make the tree good and the fruit's good. So where you need to start is not with your wallet. It needs to start with your heart that before you ever try to give God anything, you need to understand what he's done for you. That while we were sinners, Christ died for us. 
In this, the love of God was manifest, that he sent his son, that we would live through him, that before you were born, Jesus saw you're going to make a mess of your life. So he came running for you. So that as soon as you started to fall in the bad decisions you made last week and the terrible thing you thought last night, as you were stumbling, he is stepping in to grab you because he wants to love you even while you're a mess. He wants to care for you even while you're blowing him off. The grace of God is free today for anyone that will say, I am needy. I want a Jesus that gave all for me. And I promise you, when you embrace a God who gave all for you, you're going to want to be a part of giving for them. You're going to want to join him in what he's doing. And when you join him, you get to be a part of creating joy the same way he creates it in you. And that gives life meaning and purpose and joy. And so much of the world is losing joy because our hearts are shrinking. We're Ebenezer Scrooge at the first part. But we don't need ghosts to terrify us. We need a Jesus to change us, right? That we can step out and be a blessing to the world. That's what we're called to be. And I got to promise you, that's where life is. It's scary. But when you begin to put faith into that fear and you begin to walk by faith, you're going to see God really shows up for me in the real world. And as God really shows up for me, it helps convince me he's real and he's really working in my life and he can really change your life. And then you start to see spirituality work out in reality. And that's a pretty thrilling thing. And we want that for you. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcast. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at passioncitychurch.com or download the Passion Movement app. And again, thanks for listening to the Passion City Church DC podcast.